Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, yes, as Troy so prophetically predicted, we'll be back in the book of Proverbs today. And, uh, you know, I want to kind of, I've been out of the pulpit for three weeks. I think that's the longest I've ever, uh, other than the point when I died and I was gone for a while then, but then when I got back, I was okay. Um, reports of my death were greatly exaggerated. But anyway, um, you know, three weeks, man, it's a long time. You know, we had Zach do camp, which was great. And then I was in Ohio. Uh, and then Bob Gregg filled into that, did a great job with a lady with an issue of blood. And, uh, and then uh, last week we had Jeff Bush, missionary. He did a great job. So it was all worth it. And I really, really enjoyed uh, you guys holding the line while I was gone and then even while I was here. But you remember the last time we were in 27, verses 14, 15, and 16. Just a quick recap. And we talked about, you know, the fake spirituality that is all over the place today. Uh, by people, by churches, you know, by uh, false religions, uh, you know, you know, and the verse specifically talked about somebody blessing a friend with a loud voice, but in actuality, it was a curse to them. And I talked about people with absolutely no depth to, to them who, who their words are a lot louder, louder than their actions. And they're always talking about, you know, spiritual things, but they're not very spiritual themselves. They're always giving you spiritual advice, but they don't follow it any themselves. I talked about how it was about false doctrine and a false spirit, putting out a continual dropping of, of garbage that looks on the surface like a blessing from God, the way it's presented, but uh, in truth, it's a curse. And when you follow it, you get involved in it, it's a curse to your life, it's a curse to your family, and ultimately a curse to, uh, to your soul. And we talked about how that the world, flesh and the devil, you know, they, they mimic Christianity in a great way. The world has its churches, the world has its ministers and, and uh, in ministry, just like the Bible says that does in 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, both have doctrine, uh, one false, one true, and then of course both have, have a Bible. And... We also saw how that wind in the Bible, I showed you from Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 6 and John chapter 3, and then again in Acts chapter 2 verse 2, I believe, how, how that the uh, wind in the Bible is a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. And that how that uh, there will be a false wind, the spirit of the Antichrist that will deceive you. And uh, the Bible talks about somebody being blown about by every wind of doctrine. And I showed you last week how that the Bible said in those verses that the Bible will bereath it. And I showed you that the word bereath is an old English word that means that will uncover it. It will show you what you're really dealing with. It will not allow you to be fooled if you follow the principles of the Word of God. And, and you know, and as the Bible says, by rightly dividing the Word of Truth in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And when we don't do that, then we wrongly divide it, and when we're wrong when we divide it, then as Ephesians 4.14 says, we get blown about by every wind of doctrine. It was a great set of principles for us who work with people, who understand why in our own lives sometimes we have struggles, and then when you're dealing with people, how to understand better where they, they come from. And today, you know, for me, I, I want to talk about one of the greatest verses uh, that you'll ever probably understand and follow after the day you get saved. Uh, at, at one of the best you'll ever find. You know, I was thinking, at the end of our lives, probably, we could sum up everything that we learned about God in maybe ten verses. You know, there's going to be special verses. I mean, all the Bible is special. Don't, don't get me wrong. But you know as well as I do that there are certain verses in there that just mean the world to you. 
and they've got you through tough times. They got you through the, the heartaches of life, and they become a pillar in your life. And, you know, at the end of life, you look back and you look at those pillars of the Word of God that sustained you through the tough times. And uh, I'm going to tell you, this is one of those key verses for life that, that, you, that you never want to forget. One single verse that will completely say it all and leave nothing to uh, the imagination. And this verse in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, I know many of you have been waiting for me to get to this point, and, and I have too because it's a great verse, and we'll see a lot of good things about it today. But the timeless, the timelessness of this verse... Here we are getting ready to go to camp, where our church is at with all the folks and all the good people that God has given us. Many of you who are in discipleship or discipleship too, uh, you're learning the stages of spiritual growth and somebody here is working with you and helping you. And the verse is a great verse because it, it simply states a, a great truth that, that, uh, that I want to really talk about today. And it says in Proverbs 27, 17, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Jim Daraskevich, would you stand up and ask God's blessing on the preaching this morning? Thank you, Jim. Now, without a doubt, this is one of the greatest, as I said, truths that you'll ever get. And I, I try to keep it before you all the time. I think it's something that, that just needs to permeate everything that we do uh, when we work with people or we get new families in or we, we just try to help one. I, it's, the, uh, it's the number one aspect of the last 16 years since our church has been in existence that you know, I've tried to build into this church. And I've said it many times, and you've heard me say it, and we've seen it through Proverbs, we've seen it through all the different aspects of the Bible. Simply, we are who we associate with. And people who hang out, uh, people you hang out with will either make you better or they will make you worse. It's just that simple. They'll either help you or they will hurt you. They'll either empower you or they will destroy you. You know, I've heard people say all of my life in the ministry, you know, when a person would get into the Bible under a good Bible teacher, a good Bible preacher, and, you know, somebody else wasn't getting maybe what you're getting, and they get, they'll, they'll come up with the old thing, well, you're just following a man. You're just following a man. And you know what? Dr. Peter Ruckman, you know, was a great influence in my life and uh, so many men's lives, and he's dead and gone now. But in his day, you know, anybody who followed his teaching was called Ruckmanites. And, you know, we think that's something unique. Back in the old days, in the end of the 40s and the 50s, when J. Frank Norris, uh, who is, happens to be here today, thank you, uh, where is Jaden? <laughs> thank you, J. Frank, for showing up today. I, I tell this story. You know, in school... Where he goes to school, they had a thing where you could you had to you could be whoever you wanted to be, and people would come through, and you dress the part, act the part, and he had guys be sports figures, you know, go to the. He chose J. Frank Norris, who was one of the great preachers of the day, and he got up there and just really, I'm I'm good, man. I'm I tell you what, I I I I like that. I mean, the only better you could have been is me. <laughs> 
next year you can work on that. Anyway. And so it's a thing where, uh, you know, they called them neurocytes. And because they followed J. Frank Norris. You know, in the first, second, and third century, they called them Novatians because they followed a guy named Novation. They called them Manichians because they followed a guy by the name of Mane. They called them Nestorians because they followed a guy named Nestorius. They called John Huss followers Hussites because they followed John Huss. Now, here's a guy that in the 1400s, the whole country, which doesn't even exist anymore, but the whole country of Czechoslovakia, which he was from, had come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, called his followers Hussites. You had a group that they called Polyseans, and they were called Polyseans because they followed the teachings of Paul, just like we do. And, uh, you know, it's a thing where you hear it all the time. But the truth will be, and this is what I want you to understand today, everybody follows somebody. I mean, everybody does. I mean, everybody will be influenced by somebody. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he said, Be ye followers of me, even as I'm followers of Christ. So, you want to forget the fact that you're just following a man because everybody follows somebody. But what do you want to make sure of is that the person you're following or the people you're following are the right people in your life. People that will make you better. Uh, people that will sharpen you and keep you sharp. And, and really that's what it, it's all about. And for you and for me, it's the key is having the ability to pick and choose the right friends in life. People who are going to make you better. Go with the people who are going to sharpen you and keep you sharp. Somebody said one time, a child of God who stands and, and lives the truth will have strong friends and red-hot enemies. A lot of truth to that. And I know in my own personal life, I've always want people in life who, who make me better. I, I want people that, you know, in our relationships, you know, we encourage each other. You to me, me to you. I want people that are going to help mold me, sharpen me, keep me on my best game. And, uh, you know, you want to learn how to use people around you. And I don't mean use them in a bad way, but use them around you to make you better. You know, I'll, I'll confess something to you. In learning my Bible, uh, years ago, I, I knew how I could be a sluggard when it came to study habits. I was not very good in school. I hate to say that with your kids around because they're going to say, well, Bob wasn't very good. He brought home all F, so I can too. <laughs> I was never very good in school. I, you know, I, I bribed my civics teacher when I was in high school to get out of graduate from high school. He wanted something, and I got it for him. Uh, well, nothing bad. He wanted a... <laughs> I guess I better clarify that. I, it was a, it was, it was a, he wanted a copy of a model state constitution. And I didn't know what that was, but I called my congressman, and, and he got me one, gave it to him. He said, you don't even have to show up for the test. Good job. Because he knew I was going into the military, so he, you know, he, he, he but I, I, I you know, I, 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 I flunked school uh, from 7th and 8th grade, had to go to summer school. I, I know how my study habits can be. I mean, I am. I was in the 6th grade so long, the kids brought me the apple. They thought I was the teacher. So I, I, I know, you know, myself too well. And I knew that if I was ever going to learn the Bible, I was going to need help. And so I used you to make me study the Bible and make me better. I made myself accountable to you uh, without you even knowing it. Why do you think years and years ago when I first got into ministry, I started a Bible study on 
Monday night originally, but then it's Thursday night now, where you can ask me any question you want to ask about the Bible. You see, I had to face every Thursday night, so I had to stay in the book. You forced me to stay in the Word of God. You forced me because you were going to ask me questions. And honestly, I don't have a problem saying I don't know. But you know, if every question you ask me, I just said I don't know, what's the point after a while? Let's just go eat. <laughs> I, you, you, you made me better. You helped me. Because I used you to do that. And you know, it's a thing where you forced me to stay in the book. You, my, you held my feet to the fire and it sharpened me. You know, and, you know, I look at the same thing what we do now in, in people ministry. You know, our group of people that we meet with, 7, 70, 80, uh, we'll get back in this fall where you're working with me, with people in the ministry. That once a month deal holds me accountable that I have to, I can't just slough off. You know, most guys, when they get my age in the ministry, you know, 55, they, they, they start thinking about retirement. I, I, I will never retire. I've never looked at the ministry as a nine-to-five job that you, when you get 65 or 70 or whenever it is, you just retire. The ministry is a lifelong calling. But i got to tell you, the longer you're in it, the more you want to slough off because it's just a natural thing. I don't play golf. Never will. Never have. I know many of you are golf addicts. I'm, I feel sorry for you. I, I really do. <laughs> Uh, there, I got news for you. There's more to life than chasing a little round ball around. You, you give that little white ball a gun and let him shoot back at you when you're hitting him, it'll change the whole dynamics of that game, I promise you. Anyway, I, I, and most guys, when they get my age, they're looking to get out, get rest, get in the pasture, you know, and just retire. Go move down to Florida, to the dinosaur graveyard down there where all folks migrate and die. And, you know, to me, the ministry is a lifebound calling. I'll do it as long as I can. You know, uh, when I, you know, when I, I'm, when I lose my hearing, which is almost there, then I will just yell louder. When I, when I, when I can't walk anymore, I'll sit up here in a stool, which, before, and I'll just give it to you. When I lose my teeth, I'll gum you to death. But it doesn't matter, because to me, uh, you have made me better. And it's a thing where it's like the Bible Institute. Those things help me. You kept, you kept me from sloughing off and, and getting stagnant. And you know, if you're a parent and you're smarter than the problem, that's exactly what you'll do with your kids. You'll allow your, you'll use your kids to keep you sharp instead of just looking around the world and not paying attention to what they're going through and where they're at. In other words, what I'm saying is everything around you, if you'll use it the right way, will make you better. You know, I, I have to deal with people a lot and a lot of issues with people with problems. And there's a lot of negative things and a lot of, you know, negative people that they're struggling with. I mean, my week is filled with it. But it's okay. That's my job. And I will do whatever it takes to help them. There's nobody that ever comes to me that I says, you know, I just, you know, there's nothing I can do for you. I mean, it may not work for them. But I tell people all the time when they come to this church, this church will never hurt you. Now, along with saying that, you may hurt yourself, but we'll never hurt you. I'll never hurt you. I'm here for you. And sometimes they get it and grow out of their problematic world, and sometimes they don't. And I try to do what I can do for them. But I want you to understand, uh, I, I want to I wanna, I wanna hang out with people who are going to be positive people who always look at uh, the things the way God sees it. 
I want people who, as the verse says, iron sharpeneth iron. And that's really what, who I want in my life. And because I have a, uh, hey, I have a tendency. I can be, I got an old nature. I can be just as negative as anybody else. Mine is probably worse than you because my blood type is B negative. <laughs> so it's natural for me. I have an excuse I can blame it on, see? So I know me. And I know that virtue as vice can be caught and will be caught by contact. And just like I don't want your flu when you have it, I mean, I know. I, somebody say, oh, I'm really not feeling good. I will say to you, well, I wish I could take it so you felt better. I'm not really telling you the truth. I don't want it. <laughs> That's what I'm supposed to say, you know, to make you feel better, but I don't want it. <laughs> and I don't want your negativity. You know? Hey, if, if, if your Christianity is not contagious then it's contaminated. And I won't allow negative people in my world to the place where it's going to uh, taint me and everything. You know, we always hear the thing, well, you know, he, she or he looks at the glass half full, and then somebody else, they're always saying the glass half empty. I threw that glass away a long time ago. I just drink at the well where the water comes from, the Word of God. And that way you always get it fresh and bubbly. You don't have to worry about the stupid glass. You know, and I, I, I don't want, I, I just, you know, I always follow Psalms chapter 1, where it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. I never forget that, pro, that, pro, that progression that will come into my life and your life. The moment you quit walking with God and you start walking with the counsel of the ungodly, listening to them, pretty soon you're standing with them. And after you're standing with them for a while, then you're sitting with them and you're becoming scornful of everything that God people is, the Word of God, the church, just like everybody does. And I want, I want to tell you, I want to tell you, Romans 14, 7 says, uh, everybody will affect somebody. No man liveth to himself and, and no man dieth to himself. There's somebody always watching your life and there's somebody that by your action as a child of God, good or bad, you're affecting their life. And sitting here this morning, you're going to take the course of life that you're going to make people better by iron sharpening iron, or you're going to make them worse. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 18 says, One sinner destroyeth much good. Boy, that is such a true statement. And for us as Christians, this is the way God designed our spiritual growth. Just three simple concepts. Obviously, the first one is the Word of God. The principles that we follow. The things that God gives us that really helps us uh, put into our lives. The second one is obviously the New Testament local church. That's our accountability structure. That's the church that God has put us in, that we, we, we are accountable to it. We have some structure in our lives because we all need structure. And the third one is the strong people, the believers who will be examples to us, uh, to enter us, to help us grow. Paul said over there in 2 Timothy 2, 2 to young Timothy, he says, The things that I've given to you, that you've heard of me, the same things you take and commit to faithful men. Iron sharpening iron. You and I taking what God is doing in your life and making somebody else better. I, when I preached at the Methodist church here a couple of weeks ago back home in Canton, I told you about it last week. I told him, you know, and, and my family laughs at this because I do a lot of stupid things, you know, when places and they, you know, uh, just ask Jamie about the airport and the little dog. She'll fill you in on it. 
<clears throat> but I told him, you know, I, I can't change with the Word of God everybody's life. And I know that my life will not impact everybody's life. Some it will, some it won't. But that doesn't stop me from wanting to come to the point that every person I meet, I want to leave them better than I found them. I just want them to be better than, than I found them in the sense of maybe just encouraging them in something. Telling them that they did a good job in this. Telling them this. Telling them that. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, people will never improve or grow without good models and examples. That's the way God designed it. Sure, he gave us the Word of God. Sure, he gave us the New Testament church. But that's why he gave us each other. And I want to tell you something. Sometimes in Christian life, all we have is each other. I mean, I know we have the Bible, and I know we have this church, but you know the church is made up of people. There'll be times in your life when you go through something really tough that the only thing that'll keep you up, along with the Bible, and is the people who will hold you up. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a key thing. And, you know, and that's why, tying it all together, that's why character studies in the Word of God are, are so vitally important. The camp theme is going to be overcomers, helping these kids get to the point where they overcome what kids go through today. But a good dose of overcoming is good in all of our lives because we all struggle with things. And that's why not only did God give us each other, but he put the great models and examples in the Bible, which we call character studies. Now, you know, I don't know what you know the Bible or what your level of spiritual, uh, and it's okay, uh, but, you know, you're going to find that in the Word of God, God specifically mentions seven people. And those seven people, he sets them apart, and he tells us that these seven people are the models for us. Now, there are lots of models in the Bible. I mean, you could just about go anywhere. Bob used a great one when he was preaching about the woman with the issue with the blood for 12 years. That's a great example. Zach used some great example, but God specifically, I mean, I guess I could say this. If you just wanted, if you only had seven people to study in the Bible, forget everybody else, only seven people to study in the Bible, if you got these seven people that God specifically said, you want to look at them, follow them, and let them be an example in your life, and they will sharpen you, it'd be these seven guys. And he said that in Jeremiah 15, 1, and Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14. And the first guy he talks about is Noah. And if you want to learn how to overcome the world, then you want to follow the example and the model of Noah. Because Noah overcome the world. The second one would be Moses. Because if you want to learn how to serve God, then you study Moses. I mean, he, he's the greatest example of, of, of a servant of God anywhere in all of the Bible. Then you have Abraham. And if you want to learn how to walk by faith, study Abraham. Then you had Samuel. And if you want to really understand the ministry of what it is, study Samuel's life. <clears throat> then you had David. And if you really want to understand the Word of God and, and what it should mean to you, study his life. Then you had Job. And Job was up against the devil himself. And there's going to be times that you feel that way. And if you want to find out how to do that, then you study Job. And then you have Daniel. And Daniel, if you have trouble with the flesh and you have trouble struggling with the flesh, Daniel's your guy. 
And, and God tells you that you learn from their example. You'll learn from examples of people in the Bible who will sharpen you, but you'll also learn from people in life that you associate with that will, that will sharpen you. Mel Sabaka, Peter S. Ruckman, Jim Lake, Truman Dollar, Harold Henniger, Glenn Mays, Herb Kutz, they were all men who sharpened me one way or the other. And yet I say that, and I want you to understand this. Nobody's perfect. You're never going to find anybody that you follow that you can't find something wrong with. And that is so true with the guys here in the Bible. I mean, you know, it shows you that in life, God's going to put people in your life that are going to sharpen you, but don't get to the point where you think that they're without sin. It's by the grace of God that God saved them, gave them what they needed, and got them to a point, but they're going to have bad days. They're going to react instead of respond. Uh, they're going to struggle with things in life. That doesn't mean you can't learn from Sometimes we get so negative that we, as the old expression goes, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. We just lose sight of all the good that somebody has because we just want to focus on that, that negative part. I told you, Noah has been a great, great example for me in the Bible. And, 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 I, and you want to learn how to overcome the world, boy, he's the guy. But I'll tell you what, if I wanted to preach on his negativity, he got drunk. Moses was a great man in the service of God, but he was a murderer. Killed an Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Abraham is one of the greatest examples anywhere in the Bible from the time you get saved to you get to that spiritual maturity in your life. But he loses faith in God a, a number of times. Samuel was a great study for the ministry, but he lost faith with God and, you know, and, and couldn't follow what God was saying. David is a king after a man after God's own heart, but he was a murderer and adulterer. The bottom line is, you know, Job was a great uh, overcome the devil, but he was self-righteous. And Daniel overcome the flesh, but he allowed a king to bow down before him instead of God and took the glory. God put him in the lion's den. Everybody's feet is made of clay. Now, your choice is you're going to focus on the negative part and get nothing from it, or you're going to let God use the good stuff and iron sharpeneth iron. We're going to be for each other, or we're going to be against each other. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. Nobody's perfect. No church, no structure will be perfect. And many times we get into the wrong relationships and, and, or get saved and can't separate ourselves, you know, from, from uh, them that will, will, will hurt us spiritually. And, and two great truths throughout the Bible that are so true based on your association with people of either allowing people in your life to make you better or people in your life that are going to be negative and make you worse. Number one is, when you run with the wolves, you'll learn to howl at the moon. It's just that simple. You run with a worldly crowd, you'll be out there with them. And the second one is, birds of a feather flock together. People who have the same associations will always link up together. And, uh, you know, it's, it's true. It's true of everything in life. That's why you have Jeep clubs. That's why you have... Truck clubs, golf clubs. <laughs> I 
I was over picking up some stuff for camp the other day, and I was driving my little Ford Ranger, and I pulled into the surplus store. I was going in to get some backpacks or something. And there was a garage right there, and a guy came running over, and he says, you need to join our Ranger Club. Everybody's got to, you know why? Because it's true. Birds of a feather flock together. People who have an association want to hang out together. And in life, men will learn nothing apart from what he's learned about life from who he's associated with. If he associates with God's people and the word of God, then he'll learn it right. If he associates with the things of the world or or God's people who are not doing what's right, then that's where he is. The Laodicean church period, we know it very well. The church of Jesus Christ today laying in shambles. A whole body of believers who follow the wrong man, who dump the Bible and dump truth. And now Revelation 3 verse 17 18 says that it's wretched, poor, blind, and miserable, and naked. And it brought in a worldly system to the Lord's people and brought them to a dark place in their life where there's nothing positive anymore. Uh, You build a church by building people. And you've heard me say it many, many times, you build people one at a time. And you build people one at a time by simply following the concept of Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpening iron. Making somebody better. Sharpening them to a cutting edge for God in all the things that they do to make them better. You know, back in the Old Testament, there's a story back there that uh, everybody thinks is a really confusing story. I've had people scratch their head and ask me this question over and over because it looks like so bizarre in the Bible. But the standard line is when something in the Bible really looks bizarre, that probably means in most cases it's a great truth once you figure it out. But it's a story. You probably will know the story. It's a story back there in 2 Kings chapter 6. And it's one of those weird stories where a guy is cutting down a tree with an axe. And the axe head comes off, falls into the water. And then the guy says, alas, man, I was cutting a tree down, lost my axe head, now I can't cut the tree down anymore. And Elijah shows up. And Elijah does a great miracle. And the Bible says that the iron axe head actually swims over to the guy picks it up, puts it back on, goes back to work. And, you know, guys, look at that. I've held my life. People have said, what is, well, I don't get that, man. I, what, is, what is this all about? Well, let me tell you. First of all, <clears throat> doctorally, we're dealing with the nation of Israel. Jeremiah chapter 46, verse 22, and Jeremiah 51, verse 20, says that the nation of Israel is God's battle axe. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, that axe was to cut out and root out the things in the world. And it's an illustration and a picture here of Israel as God's axe to cut down the trees, the nations. And you'll want to see this in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. But Israel has lost its cutting edge. It can no longer do the job that God entailed it to be of being God's battle axe because it's lost its edge. It's worthless now. And so Elijah shows up, the man of God, and brings the axe head back, picture of the restoration of the nation of Israel, and he goes back to work cutting down the trees, which represent the axe, represent the nation of Israel. Now, inspirationally, it's a picture of you and me. And when we lose our cutting edge, when we cease to be what God wants us to be, and we lose that cutting edge to be able to cut down the way that God wants us to go, through the wrong associations and the wrong uh, things that we do. 
you know, the wrong attitude, the cynical spirit, the negative about everything and everybody. When we get into that mode and God, it, it, it ceases to, it, we cease to be that sharp, cutting edge that really gets the job done with God. You know, the Bible's likened to a sharp, two-edged sword. It cuts two ways. You sometimes you have to go in and, and use it as a, a a battle sword, and you just hack people to pieces because that's what it, it requires. Other times you have to use it as a fine scalpel because the problem is so right there that you got to very be careful how you deal with it. The key is learning how to use it. But at the end of the day, like Israel, you and I are God's battle axe. We're to tear up this world and, and cut it to pieces for the honor and glory of God. And most of God's people are like that axe head. They've lost their cutting edge by association. And our verse says, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And the job of any church, <clears throat> the job of any pastor is to make you better. I could focus on the negativity in, in people's lives. Who couldn't? <clears throat> that doesn't solve any problems. That doesn't fix anything. That doesn't help somebody get better. The key to you getting and being everything God wants you to be is somebody looking at you and focusing on you that is good and helping you get better. You know as well as I do how many kids we've dealt with over the years and probably have some at camp <clears throat> that all their life their parents told them how worthless they were. Their parents abused them verbally, maybe physically. And they told them how dumb they were, how stupid they were, how lazy they were, how told everything about them. And you know what it produces? It produces the kids who actually comes in life believing that. Now, Christianity should be different. When you get saved, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. This church ought to at least follow what the Bible says, that realizing that you are a new creature, and I'm not going to waste a lot of time on the old creature. I want to help the new creature get better every day. Because that's the only way it works, to make you better. And the key word there is countenance. You remember back in Genesis chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, we had the story of Cain. It's the first time the word countenance really shows up in the Bible. And the Bible says that the Lord came to Cain and he says, Why hast thou countenance fallen? And and your countenance is, is what's on the inside showing up on your face on the outside. And some people hide it well, some people don't. Some people, you can look across the room and say, "Mm, he's got a problem. (laughs) Some people can hide it very well. And, you know, and that's a a good thing, I think. But, you know, your countenance is based on your spirit. And your spirit is based on who you've associated with. You build your life. I build this work on positive things that God is doing. (laughs) I mean, you could find in any church the negative things. Because there's no perfect church. No perfect pastor. There's no perfect people. And you, we have a choice to make. We can either look at each other and realize that all we have is us outside the Word of God in this church. The person sitting next to you, the person that you're sitting with today, or the person in front of you or behind you, there may come a time in your life when that's all that you have. Right now, we need to come to the place that we understand this great concept. Uh, you know, people in life and you're in, in, in the work of God, you know, negative people. I mean, God, you, you know what? You can't use them. You can't do anything with them because you don't want that negativity to infest in everything you got. So, you know what? You put them on a shelf with a label. Do not open to the judgment seat of Christ. 
I, we had a camp meeting last night, you know, for all the people going. And, man, we got a great bunch, uh, all the workers. And uh, <clears throat> not last night, it was Friday night. And I know, I told them, I said, camp is one of the hardest things that you have to do. Because you're dealing as a counselor with kids who are just young kids and they can stay up all night and you can't. <laughs> and they will, they, will, they will push it to the limits. And uh, it's a thing where you, uh, you just can't, uh, uh, it'll wear you out. And it'll, 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 you'll get tired, it's going to be hot. I just saw the weather today, the index for camp, heat index, probably over 100 degrees. I mean, thank God, I, in the old days in camp, we stayed in cabins with no air conditioning. A lot of recluse spiders, but no air conditioning. And uh, it, it was terrible and bearable. And I, I, I just tell you, I mean, it's a, it, so we got that going for it. But it's going to be a long, hot day, and you're going to get tired, and the kids are going to push you. And I'm telling you right now, our attitude about sharpening those kids that week, we, may, we will never get that same group ever again in the same spot for the same time, meaning we got one shot at them. There'll be plenty of kids there that probably are not saved. There'll be a lot of kids there that are saved but just need that sharpening process. And it's what we have to do. And, I, I, you know, making a difference in kids' lives based on our positive attitude. And uh, it's, it's just the way it is. You know, in life in general, people, unsaved people, will be drawn to things that are positive. They'll be drawn to positive people because they live in a world of negativity. Unsaved people, even God's people out of fellowship, they live in a world where there's nothing positive. Even the things that they want to pretend are positive wind up being negative at the end of the day. And the freshness of a New Testament Christianity, of somebody actually having goals and something in their lives that are absolutely fundamental, they'll be drawn to that. And the greatest example of that is you girls uh, in uh, uh, playing softball with, with Bill, your umpire. He loves you guys. Uh, he's told me over and over again, you're the greatest people in the world. And he tries to give me the credit for it as the pastor. And I just said, Bill, they were, this is who they are. But he sees you out there. And these guys umpire all the city games. They do, and they get cussed at. They get thrown stuff at them. They get, they, and he loves, those, all those guys love coming to us because we don't give them any problems. But you girls have made a difference in his life. And he's unsaved. And uh, he, he, he watches you. He enjoys being there. He watches you guys out there, and he's laughing about it, you know. That, and he's an umpire. He's supposed to stay out of it. He's supposed to be neutral, but he'll help you guys. <laughs> it's okay. I'm a neutral pitcher. I help you guys. If I walk one on this team, then I'll walk one the next time. I mean, everything's fair. But he loves you guys because he watches you. I watch you. So you're out there and somebody's running to second base and somebody throws the ball and you get him out. The person that just got him out hugs the person and apologizes for getting him out. It's called ball games. They're hugging each other. That's what it's, he sees that. He sees that. He sees it as a fun time. Yeah, there's competition, but the competition doesn't override Iron sharpeneth iron. I, 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 I can control my pitches pretty good. I see those young girls coming up there that, that never got to hit a ball. I will give them the biggest goose egg they ever saw in their life. If the softball don't work, next week I'll show up with a volleyball. 
the volleyball don't work, I'll bring a basketball the next week. They're going to hit the ball. You, from my position, when you have somebody come up who's never played ball in their life, and they come out to play. And you know why they come out to play? Because you guys want to make them better. You invited them to come out. You encouraged them. They struck out, and you applaud. They, they, they miss the ball, and you, you cheer them on. And when they hit the ball, fireworks go off. It's, it's, but that's what you do. You take people who fundamentally, and you make them better. Because that's what our job is. It's what we do. And I'm telling you, one of the greatest assets of, of this church that illustrates this great principle is, is our prayer groups, which we're going to kick over next week and we'll start, start every 12 weeks. We, we, de- we develop them and get new people in them and, and change teams. That's the ultimate fulfillment in my mind of iron sharpening iron. You ladies and you guys taking people and making them better. Spending quality time with them, giving them what they need. People taking the word of God and through their time bonding together making everybody better. One of the greatest things that we we ever did. And and, and this is why our church, and I I know it's not perfect and it's got its issues. I guarantee you it does. But this is why this church is filled with quality people and keeps turning them out. People who care about other people. You build them like I built you. You followed a man who followed a book and you learned by example from the Bible and in samples from the people that we've had here. And you've come with a great truth that all we have is two things. All we have is the Bible and all we have is each other. And if we don't take care of each other, we're in trouble. Been in the ministry almost 50 years. Listen to me on this. Here's the key. In almost 50 years of ministry, my ears have heard plenty of negative things. In my tenure in pastoring and working with people, these old ears have heard, it's the reason why I'm going deaf, they just don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> my ears have heard many, plenty of negative things. But I want to tell you something, and this is what you need to do. But I train my heart never to listen. And you've got to come to the place that you're going to hear it. You have to train your heart not to listen to it. It's the key to a successful life. It's the key to a successful ministry. The ministry is not hard. It's just a lot of hard work. One man, a pastor, can only do so much. But when you train, uh, you know, over time, 60, 70, 80 people who do with people what needs to be done, that's how you build it through the principles of the Word of God, building them in a, in a, in, building in them responsibility and accountability, building in them, as I gave you the other night, adaptability, compatibility, durability, and flexibility. Well, that's a ministry built on Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You know, in the church age now, we are to be separate from the world. In the Bible, that's called sanctification. Nobody knows that much anymore. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says is the definitive chapter on it, if you want to look it up. And uh, even though we are in this world, we are no longer of this world. And to survive and to be all that God wants us to be, we need only have three things to make us complete. We need to have the Word of God because that will be the power of God in your life. We need to have the New Testament local church because that will be the structure of God in your life. And then we need each other. Now the first two will make you better. 
And after you get the first two down, then you can make other people better with what you know and what you've learned. And then together we fulfill our mission that God has given for us. You know, last, uh, last Sunday after Jeff pre- preached, we, I just made a quick reference to the air show because the, uh, the Blue Angels were down there. And I told you the story how that <coughs> the Blue Angels, you know, they, they've had some disasters over the years. They've been together since 1947, right after World War II. And there were, were times where they, <clears throat> the two guys that do the crossover, they crashed and, and got killed. There were times that they just had engine failures and they had to eject and maybe they were okay, lost the plane. But it was one case where when they had that four-plane diamond formation, that all four planes just nosed into the ground. And I told you that they're trained to watch the leader. And in a worldly sense, it's a, <clears throat> it's a sad thing because too many times in the world we follow the leader and it winds up being a disaster. For us, we need to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit of God and you'll never go into the ground. But I thought this week as I was thinking about this, what I wanted to say today, <clears throat> of another great example. And I try to learn from everything. You know, during World War II, <clears throat> America, you know, most people, <clears throat> all they, they see all the D-Day stuff and the movies about D-Day and they think that that's all there was to it. D-Day didn't happen until 1944. We were in the war in 1941. There was four years there that we struggled. And a couple of times we came close to losing the war. But we didn't start storming the shore in Normandy. We we started in Africa, actually. And once we defeated Rommel in Africa, then we moved over to Sicily. And once we got a foothold in Sicily, then we'd come into Italy and we moved our way up to Italy. And then at, on June the 6th, 44, then they come ashore in France and they had two ways to do it. But we weren't fighting on European shores till June 6, 1944. And the war was over in 45. So we weren't there very long. The way they carried the war to Germany and all the occupied countries was through the 8th Air Force and daylight bombing. And they would, they would strike the industrial heart of, of Germany, France, where they made ball bearings like at Schweinfurt. Or other places, the torpedo factory where they made torpedoes for the U-boats that were just taking a heavy toll in the, in the Atlantic. But it didn't come without a great price. The German Luftwaffe was, was probably the greatest air force in the world. They had been fighting war since 34 in Spain. And uh, we had B-17 bombers that had 10 men in them. And they'd send out just a number. They'd send out a thousand. They'd send out a thousand plane raid. And, you know, the, the Germans would sit, shoot down 50 planes, 500 men dead in one day. It was terrible losses, terrible losses. Somebody came up with a brilliant idea <clears throat> of putting all these B-17s in what they called a box formation, that they flew almost wingtip to wingtip. Now, each B, here was the theory behind it, and it's brilliant. Each B-17 has 10, 50 caliber machine guns. Each machine gun can fire around 500 rounds a minute. So we're looking potentially, if you have 1,000 planes or 500 planes, three, six million bullets coming at you all at once. That's a lot of firepower coming your way. And the idea was that when you kept, because when they were flying loose, the Luftwaffe would get down in between them and shoot, and, and once they knocked two or three down, there was a gap, and they just tore them to pieces. So the idea was to fly the tightest formations that they could. 
not allowing the Germans to get penetrate into their formation, that they had to stay on the outer perimeter. And on the outer perimeter, if a guy was crazy enough to come in with his gun blazing, he had two million bullets coming his way. And there were times when they, when they flew tight formation that they didn't lose anybody. Flak was a problem where they fired it up from the ground and you may have a, a B-17 that got an engine hit and he had the lag behind because they couldn't keep up and they couldn't stay with him and he got picked off. But as far as the fighters coming in and doing the damage, it fixed that problem. And I want you to know that the key to it all wasn't the machine guns that they had and the firepower. The key to what they had to the success was the tight formations that they flew. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says that we are, we're one body. We're one spirit. We have one Lord. We have one faith. We have one baptism. Christianity is to be a oneness. It's to be a unity. And we have a weapon that can not fire 3 million 50 caliber slugs out uh, a minute, but we have a book that can fire out 10 million principles a second. But just as those bombers, the Bible and the principles that we have will mean nothing if we as a church don't fly tight formations. If we don't stay together. If we don't keep the enemy from penetrating down in the middle of, our, of what we're trying to do. That we keep them on the outside, the perimeter, but they never get on the inside. And the Bible will mean nothing if we don't fly that tight formation and let nothing between us and use the principles that when they come in with guns blazing, knock them right out of the sky. And that will only happen when and if iron sharpeneth iron. You take the people that God brings into us and we make them better. Next week at camp, we look at those kids as the future not only this church, but wherever God is going to take them. And we have one goal, and that is maybe they don't all get saved. Maybe they don't all get right with God. But you know what? The impact that you're going to have in their life for that week will carry on for the rest of their lives. And maybe God isn't ready for them to get it together right then, but it'll be what he uses down the line someplace. And we have to let them go better than we find them. We have to let them go with the positive experience that for a one week they were with people that loved them, cared for them, genuinely, wanted nothing from them, accepted them where they were, and had one goal. And that is that we all together fly the tight formation of making them better. But it starts here with you. It starts with every one of you looking to the person to the left and the right and front and behind and realize that coming in life, that person may be the only person you've got in life. It may be all you have. And iron sharpeneth iron has to become our watchword of this church. It's one of the greatest verses anywhere in the Bible. I try to keep it before you in everything that we do. Forcing, you know, focusing on being positive people and not negative. Every day of our lives helping others, not hurting them. <clears throat> Making them better. Keeping each other sharp, allowing the church to be God's battle axe to do the work that it needs to do. Taking the truth of God's word to people and through us allowing the word of God to cut out their lives what needs to go. 
and then us taking them and as iron sharpeneth iron, making them better. We could always have people in every case, most of us included, that have problems in our lives. We can either choose to focus on those problems or we can help them get better and get past those problems. But it comes with you and me keeping them sharp, keeping ourselves sharp. And that iron sharpening iron, making them better and getting them to the place where they can become a fine cutting instrument in the hand of God. And you know, something to think about. We've been here now for a long time. Let me ask you a question and I don't want an answer. Who are you sharpening today with your life? Oh, I know now there's going to be a, a, a sellout at the bookstore for, for files and sharpening tools. I get that. And that's great. Praise the Lord. Maybe it makes the difference and you go from here. But I'm asking you right now, who are you sharpening? Who are you sharpening? Who are you taking in your life? You say, well, you haven't given me anybody. It isn't about me giving you anybody. It's about you seeing people around you that you know have struggling. Why aren't you there? See, it's our job. I came in this morning at the bottom of the steps down there. Sam was standing there crying, weeping. He's got terminal cancer. Comes to church every Sunday. Doesn't miss a Bible study. When we're out on restart in the hot heat, he's out there too. This church is all he's got. And he went to the experimental KU for the cancer treatment, you know, and it's given him a, a little boost in the thing. But, but he suffers every day. I, I lost a dad to cancer. I, I know the pain that they go through. And yet it never slows him up. And here he is standing down here, coming to church, overwhelmed that he's feeling probably that someday he won't be here anymore for all this. And yet all I had to do was just put my arm around him, walk him over to two guys that were sitting on the thing there and say, hey, he's having a tough time. They took care of him. Iron sharpeneth iron. They're all around us, folks. All you have to do is open your eyes and look. There's all kinds of needs. There's all kinds of issues. There's always somebody right around the corner that you can invest your life in to make better. And as I said, in life you will hear many negative things. We need to train our hearts simply not to listen and focus on that great principle that we're all we got. If we don't hang together, we will certainly hang separately. Amen. We're all we got. And God has given us the book. God has given us wonderful people. God has given us a good church with a strong structure. I know it isn't perfect. But in the choices in life, we're to focus on what is negative or focus on what's positive. And look around you. Look at the person sitting in front of you, behind you, and looking for that person who just needs you know, I told the people back in Canton at the Methodist Church. I said, you know, sometimes it's not enough just to go the extra mile. Sometimes you got to go the extra smile. You got to be there for them. 
My whole ministry has been about being there for you when you could not be there for yourself. And we need to be there for each other because there'll be times when we can't be there for ourselves. But that's what makes it strong. That's what makes it really good. And that's where the blessings are. And that's why this verse is such a great verse. Iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. It starts right here and goes into camp next week. And by the grace of God, doesn't end when camp's gone. It just keeps on moving. Maybe I ought to preach this message every six months. But it's where we're at. Well, we'll hold up there. I need my guys back there, and we'll go up and get that food brought in. And uh, if you got want to sponsor somebody, you can see me. If you got concession stand money for your kids, you can do it. Remember, counselors don't pay for concession stand. And uh, we will uh, we'll uh, got a busy week ahead of us. Uh, let's pray for each other. Let's help each other. Let's make each other better. And again, meet our visitors. I know some of them had to leave because they had an event they had to get to, but the ones that are still here, make them feel welcome. And uh, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed.